The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Hear the word of the Lord. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in a hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He had promised to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're in this new series for Advent called The Great Summons. And I want you to think about summons for a minute. You've all gotten a lot of summons this weekend. Probably a lot of summons for sales for Black Friday or maybe Small Business Saturday or they're coming right now in your inboxes as we speak for Cyber Monday. Like, The idea of summons is something we live in a constant with. Things are summoning you. Your text messages, your phone calls, your emails, your checklists, like assignments that are coming up for you if you're in school. Like we are constantly being summoned. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, um, like maybe this text, we're kind of wondering like where do we fit in this? Like how is it that we are summoned in this story as well. And that's really what we're going to be talking about for all of Advent is this great summons, this cosmic summons that God sends out through His Son, Jesus Christ, that invites us into a story that transforms the world, that brings a new hope. And it's not a misdirected summons. You know what a misdirected summons is? It's like um, this happened to me a couple years back. Jamie loves to go shopping and find deals. It's super fun. I don't even like to buy stuff for myself anymore because she finds it for at least half of whatever I find it for. And there was this one time, and she had conned me into, like, going in this store with her, and she was, like, shopping, and I'm, like, walking around in circles. And then I'm like, ooh, I found something. And so I go, ooh, I'm going to go show Jamie. I go, Jamie. And the person turns around, and it is not Jamie. That is a misdirected summons. She was fine with it. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, she was, it was fine. The Bible is not like that. You're not accidentally hearing this this morning. Uh, you're not hearing the word this morning, and it's like for some of you and not all of you. No, this is, this is a universal summons that goes out into all the world that invites us to read this and to be mystified by it, for our imaginations to be caught up, and then for us to discover that it's an invitation that is aimed directly at your heart this morning, for you to know that you are in the very mind of God, that you are His beloved, and that this story is meant to become your story. That this is the beginning of something great. It's why we celebrate it every year in the church, the reality that Christ has sent His Son to dwell among us as a baby, like we just saw earlier. 
Like that, that was God's way, His plan A of bringing this message of His grace to us that we might personally and as a people be summoned into what He's doing. So with the text this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at four different types of people we see in this text um, who are summoned, that this story goes out to and summons into being part, a part of what God is doing. And so the first thing we're going to look at first we see that God's interested in the washed up. He's interested in those who maybe appear a little bit useless. I have a dog named Bentley. It's a golden retriever. If we take him to the dog park, and there's a mud puddle at any part of this entire dog park, he launches for it, turns around and swirls in it, and then comes back towards us like, what? I'm ready to get in the car and go home. We're like, no, you are washed up. Like, you are not in a good place. We're not interested, right? Israel is washed up in this story. They used to be a great people. They used to have a lot of power and sovereignty and resources, and now things are a bit different. Remember who they are. You remember the stories of the Older Testament, like when David defeats Goliath, King David, he becomes their king, or when Israel's delivered from famine because in God's providence, Joseph finds favor with Pharaoh, and then he's able to provide for the entire nation of Israel, or when Israel's delivered out of Egypt, They're not just a washed up people, they are the ones who are protected by God and He delivers them from the greatest superpower of the world at that time, from Egypt. Or remember when Moses ascends to the mountain and he goes up and God gives him the Ten Commandments, these directives that God gives to us that says, if you will obey these commandments, it will go well with you. Like this is, I've made you for this. They were a great people, but currently their situation is this. They're renting their former land from the Romans. They've, most of their power has been taken away. And they're still looking forward. They're still anticipating that a Messiah would come. But, but in the eyes of the world, Mary is included in this, Israel is just kind of like a people. They're not that interesting. But they continued to wonder, would one day God restore their former glory? You know, it's like if you're watching Napoleon Dynamite and you see Uncle Rico, right? I could have won state. He's constantly telling Napoleon and his brother, look, I could have once stayed. I was this great football player. And you're sort of watching it going, yeah, you might have been in that very small town a great football player, but not so much anymore. Now he just eats steak and sits on his couch in a field. Israel is in a place where people are like, yeah, they used to have power, and look, we've taken it all away from them. And yet this is exactly who God's interested in. In fact, if you go back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verse 28, this angel comes to Mary and says this to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. If you want to know God's posture towards you this morning, here it is. The Lord is with you. You are highly favored. God desires for us to know that we are His beloved. Wherever you're coming from, washed up, exhausted, feeling not value, whatever it is, God says, I bring this message to you. You are highly favored. It's like saying I love you to someone, and I'm not talking about the casual little I love you. I mean like when you tell someone I love you, I cherish you, you matter to me, you're significant to me, I care, I I love you. God is sending a message in this great summons to us this morning that's saying, look, you wouldn't think I'd be interested in the washed up people of Israel. I am. They're my people. And this message comes through Israel to the whole world so that we can hear God's summons to us this morning. What are you being summoned to? You're summoned to a lot. You know, in this life, you have ways you're going to spend the next 20, what is it, seven days before Christmas, whatever it is. 
You're being summoned. God is summoning you to His message of grace. You know, what does it look like to be washed up? Well, here's some ideas. Think about this. You ever lost a job? I've lost a job before. You, your, your sense of self-worth can kind of be challenged in that moment when someone says, you know what, you're not interesting anymore. Or you, you don't fit here anymore. We're going we're to move this direction without you. You can feel that. Or when you fail, you know, when you make a mistake and you begin to think, ooh, this one's going to define me. The Lord sends another story. I will define you. You are highly favored before me. Or when your kiddos fail. Kids, I know this may be hard for you to believe this, but sometimes when you make mistakes, we as parents feel like somehow we're responsible too. You know what God says to the failures and God says to the washed up and he says to those who have made real mistakes they can be honest about and humble about? He says, I have grace for you. You are highly favored. That is my posture towards you. If you want to think about God's posture towards us, his people during Advent, here it is. You are highly favored. I love you. And I've got an incredible summons for you to be part of this story of me sending my son into the world to transform it. So, he's interested in the washed up. We also see he's interested in the nobodies. Mary is a nobody in, a lot of, in the eyes of the world. She's 15 years old. She's a young woman. She doesn't have any power. I mean, you know this. Women are the most exploited people group in the history of humankind. But especially during this time, they, she has no power. She's 15 years old. She's a girl, and if you're thinking you're God and you're going to send your son into the world, why would you send it to a Mary? Well, wouldn't it have been a much more believable story, this whole gospel Christmas thing, if the scriptures went like this? So God sent his son to Augustus Caesar, and Caesar knew that this was the son of God, and then what would Caesar do with his power? He would leverage his human power to make everyone believe this. God's not interested in that. What he's interested in is interested in is summoning our hearts to have faith in what he has done and said. He's interested in what, according to the world's eyes, are nobodies. Mary's pedigree. Now, she didn't go to Harvard. That may be surprising, right? She is, her prospects are to marry someone and then to sort of just live life in this small place. And don't forget this, her shame. She's pregnant. She's 15. She's pregnant. She's not married. She's engaged to be married. And she must have felt utterly isolated. God had done this. An angel appeared to her in her mind. Okay, this is what's happening. But the rest of the world is going to judge. You know it's true. God had to send an angel to Joseph to convince him of the same. Mary is dealing with so much. She might appear to be a nobody, and yet who is she? She is the object of God's affection, and that is unexpected, that he would include her in that. It's like if I were to tell you about the great town of Bay City. Do you, any of you know where Bay City is? It's kind of important to us because my wife's family, her dad is from there. We've got pictures of him and little Rugrat with his buddies in this black and white picture. His dad was a rice farmer. And then there's pictures of Jamie as a child growing up in Bay City. Bay City is this metropolitan of about 18,000 people or something like that. Last time I checked, it may be less than that. It's a little town. Would you be surprised if the United Nations sent this message to Bay City? Oh, great town of Bay City, we would like to have you come and speak to us because you are highly favored and we value you. That is exactly what's happening here. God is saying to Mary, although the world sees you as insignificant, as an insignificant woman in an insignificant place, doing insignificant things, you are highly favored 
by God's standard. This is so important for us. There are things in our world that tell us what our value is. The Scriptures are saying, you are highly favored. You are my beloved. I have great hope for you. Even if people think you're insignificant, actually, I am making you the center of this story. So he's interested in the washed up. He's interested in what might appear to be the insignificant. But he's also interested in the empty. Think about this for a minute. If you're Mary and you have this dream and this happens to you, and you find out you're carrying the child who's going to become the son of, who's the son of God, who's going to change the world, think about how isolated you would feel in that moment. Nobody knows this is happening unless people are really looking for it from the Older Testament because it's prophesied for sure. But, but people are struggling to believe this. How does God respond to Mary in her emptiness? He gives her Elizabeth, her cousin. Her cousin who's probably in her 30s or 40s, who's been without child, wondering her entire life, why, why don't I have a child? I want to have a child. And then God gives her a child, and it's John the Baptist. And the angel tells Mary, hey, I know this is scary. You're not alone. Elizabeth is also with child, and you can go see her, and she can celebrate this with you. And so she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's and stays there for three months, and they talk about this miraculous thing that's happened. You know, it's just a little, it's a very small picture, but it's a reminder that even in the sense of our emptiness, God gives us something. He gives us himself, he gives us his promises, and he gives us community. It's why the community of faith, the church, is so significant in our spiritual journey of knowing who God is. God invites us, especially when we're feeling empty, to remember we're part of what he's doing. We're part of his people. And then, as if the miracles aren't just, you know, as if there haven't been enough miracles, Elizabeth's there, Mary comes with her, with her child who's in her womb, and Elizabeth's child in her womb leaps. John the Baptist leaps in her womb. Now, I can't imagine how weird that must have been for Elizabeth. It must have been more than a kick. I don't know if it was visible face. Like, I don't know what happened, but it was significant enough to where they were like, oh, he can tell Mary that you are actually saying what you're saying is true and that this is big. The empty are invited. The seemingly useless are invited. The nobodies are invited. Those that we might think do not matter are invited. Now, if I were going to tell you there's a party where all those people are invited, who would like to go? It seems like it might be a little bit of a down, downer experience, right? The empty, the useless, the weak, whatever. What the Scriptures tell us is that actually God is inviting us, the humble, to be gracious to us. That He's preparing things for us. That He's inviting us into this. I mean, think about the significance of this story. Like, if you're struggling, struggling to believe this is true, just, just for like the next 30 seconds, let's just let's put aside all doubt. Just for, just for, can you do 30 seconds? Like for 30 seconds, let's just imagine if this is 100% real and true. It changes everything. And it is true. This mysterious summons that we're being invited into to look at and to say to ourselves, wow, this changes everything. And it does. The last kind of picture of someone who's included in this story, and the one I really want you to hone in on besides the others, I guess, is that it comes for the beloved. Mary is an object of God's affection. She is one that he is pursuing. He is one that he wants to make abundantly clear that he loves. She is one that he wants to use to do something that's going to change the world. What if God does this for you? I don't mean exactly what happens to Mary. 
But what if it's true that God very much, very clearly wants to speak to you today? That's what the Scriptures are. God's breathed word for us so that we might know exactly the stories He wants us to have in our hearts. So that from our earliest days, even when we're baptized, that we might hear the stories told again and again and again of God's faithfulness and His love for us and His summoning to us. When we're empty, that He's summoning us to His, to his presence. That when we've failed and you know, we're considered the weak, that He's summoning us to His presence. That when we're those who feel even isolated, He is saying, no, you're not. I am with you. You are highly favored. You see, what happens to someone who begins to believe this is their soul begins to become alive. This is, this is like the paradigm of spirituality we believe in Christianity. You ready? We believe that Jesus died for us and that He rose again and that the Lord has given us His Word so that when we follow His ways, what we find is life. What we find is healing. And what we find is grace, not just for ourselves, but grace for others. So we can even be gracious to other people. The whole point of following who Jesus is is God's inviting us to be part of His story so that we can taste and see that He's good, that we might be, as the Old Testament says, when we follow God's ways, that it might go well with us. You want to see an example of it? I thought you'd never ask. Look at verse 46. And Mary says this, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Why does she do that? For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. From generation to generation, He's performed mighty deeds with His arm. He scattered the proud, those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the humble. The story of Mary is being read in the 21st century in a church on the other side of the planet. This text is 2,000 years old. It's happening. God's promises are real. What happens to the person who begins to experience His grace? They begin to say things like this, My soul glorifies the Lord. That's the paradigm. We first must experience God's love for us and experience His favor for us before we're able to express it. What you're being invited into this morning is to begin to experience God's grace first. And maybe that's where you are, and that's where you need to stay for a little while. This is a story of God's love for you. You are highly favored. He offers you grace in His Son, Jesus Christ, and you are welcome to it. When we realize we're the beloved of God, then we begin to grow, which looks like loving Him back and learning to love one another. So when we experience His love, we, we learn to love Him. We also, when we realize we're loved by Him, we become humbled, not ashamed. It's a difference. There's a difference. To be humble means that you understand that there's actually powers beyond yourself. It shouldn't be hard to admit, it's just we very much act like that's not true sometimes, right? To be humble is to say, God, you are God. Shape who I am. Shape my understanding of what's real. Shape my understanding of how to love other people based on how you've loved me. I'm going to be humble, meaning I'm going to trust you even above my heart, which deceives me at times. I'm going to be humble. Shame is different. Shame is when you make a real mistake and someone shoves your face in the dirt about it. Shame is when you, when you fail or when you recognize that you're a failure, you see something in your life that needs to change, and you think, yep, that defines me. Do you know the only one God's okay with experiencing shame? His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus takes all of our shame so that we can stand before God as His people, knowing that we are what? Summoned into a story where we can be reminded that we are His beloved. Do you really believe you're summoned? God is summoning you. John Milton wrote a poem called Christ's Nativity. Talking about Mary, he says this, Have thou the honor first thy Lord to greet, like as his mother, and join the voice unto the angel choir, from out his secret altar touched with hallowed fire. This is a mysteriously wonderful story that is meant to ignite our imaginations as we consider our own souls being summoned into God's family, into his presence, into his grace. All right, let me, let me end with this. Again, thinking about the difference between shame and between being humbled. If this morning you are feeling a deep sense of guilt, if there's something going on, I don't know what it might be, if there's something going on, remember this, Christ died so that you could be free from that. And if you're experiencing humility, if you're thinking, I do believe in Jesus, and I can't believe the things he's done, then you're right where you need to be. And the question becomes, where are you? If you had to define yourself, how would you define yourself? I'll go first. I'm a Christian, right? I'm also a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a son, and I'm a neighbor, and I'm a friend. But here's what happens when we begin to understand God's grace. We become, what? A Christian who's in process. We become a husband who's in process. We become a father who's in process, a son who's in process, a friend who's in process. What's the process? believing and learning and leaning into and trying more and more to understand God's love for us as he summons us. And as we do, we find life. God is inviting us this season of Advent to stop and to hear his summons into his grace because that's where he knows we will find life. I would encourage you this season to ask that question. What are you really giving your heart to? What are you really listening to that's summoning you? It's not that all those things are necessarily bad things. They're probably very good things. But there's one who's summoning you who wants you to taste and see life, resurrection life, the mystery of the incarnation. Let's pray together. This morning, Lord Jesus, as we just, even in our mind's eye, in our, in our heads, as we read this story about Mary, and, and think to ourselves what it must have been like for her to encounter an angel and to discover she's pregnant and to go through the experience of emptiness and loneliness and wondering what happens next, only for you to immediately give her someone to walk with her, her cousin, and to remind her that because you love her, it's going to make her soul alive, Lord. As we think about that, my prayer would be for each of us this morning that we ask ourselves, what are we listening to? What summons are we responding to? And maybe this morning, by the power of your Spirit, we can actually believe that you love us and that you've pursued us, that you've given us this story to draw us in so that we might celebrate this season in great anticipation of the new Christ child. In his name we pray. Amen.